So in today's transportation world, things are being commoditized very quickly. How do you continue to differentiate yourself as a business or as a person within the structure of the 3PL logistics industry? How can you avoid being a commodity yourself and your services following in suit? Let's discuss that today. My name is Chris Joslin, and welcome to Jaws Bites. Hello again, everyone. This is Chris Joslin, your host, coming to you with another edition of Jaws Bites, this time taking a little bit of a granular focus on commoditization in the transportation world, what that does to the business as a whole, the industry as a whole, and how can it affect you as a person in the logistics industry, and how do you differentiate yourself from others, and how do you avoid being categorized as a commodity in this industry? So it's my pleasure again to be with you today. As always, we are sponsored by iLibelLogistics.com, coming across your screen right about now, but where you can find unbelievable curated, aggregated information. You can find the podcast that you're looking at now. You can see that you can listen to them on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, etc. You can learn, you can grow, you can become a more integral part of the, of the community and the industry itself. You can uh, take the information that you gather here and utilize it to the best of your career uh, process and ability in, in your, your career path, if you will. So welcome aboard, as always. And I, uh, I can just encourage you, again, to be a subscriber. Be a, a part of this. Get on our website. Subscribe to the daily. See some of the industry indicators, some of the, the, the robust analysis that we do on segments of our society. We talk about everything from the political aspects that affect new regulations going in place, how to avoid uh, being captured by regulations. We go over tons and tons of information in the in supply chain logistics is a very vast industry. I don't even know if it's really one industry anymore. It's, it's creating many subcategories, many sublevels of information an interest that is growing in our society today. The supply chain is very messy these days, as we probably all know, even people don't have anything to do with the industry can see that happen. But our job is to try to simplify those kind of things, make them more understandable, produce a content and a, communica a communication device through our site, through these, these uh, podcasts and, and these videos to try to enable a wider, uh, more succinct view of the industry as a whole. So with that, I, I'd like to, to kind of, like I said a moment ago, focus in on the commoditization of many of the aspects of our community. Now, this is not new to any industry. It, it's very typical that over time, you know, industries in general, they start with a very competitive and distinctive nature. And what I mean by that is that whether it's a product or a service, the entities involved, the companies that are competing with each other have a different set of values, a different set of things that they bring to the table in terms of why a customer should buy from them. It may be equipment, transportation, it may be equipment types, it may be a specialized service, it may be um, on-time delivery performance historicals, it may be some reporting mechanism or a transportation management system that allows a customer to analyze their own business portfolio and come up with new and better price competitive ways to move their product from A to B. Could be a lot of different things to differentiate themselves from one another, these competitors. But it's there's a state in the industry in which all competitive products or services have evolved to look kind of the same over time. And they appear undifferentiated. And when that happens, the points, it becomes more of a point of parity. Things, the, the different competitors will look around the room at each other and the shippers and the clients will look around the room at the competitors and say, why should we choose one over another? And that is the commoditization of particular segments of the industry. 
that's why things end up devolving down to kind of the singular or the priority of price moving up the ladder. Most companies have a set of KPIs, key performance indicators that they look at when evaluating their supply line, their suppliers in the supply line. And what's important to that company comes out on top as a way to not only differentiate between competitors, but evaluate who they should use and when they should use them, what geographies they should use them in, et cetera. When those values become uh, undistinguishable from one another, from competitor to competitor, then the one key value, and that's the bottom line, that's the difference in the price between one another, becomes most paramount. And from a shipper's or a client standpoint, that can make your life pretty easy at times. But what ends up happening is that customers or, or clients or vendors, they end up finding new ways to differentiate themselves. And as I mentioned a moment ago, you know, this, this chart I'm showing now is, is kind of a, shows kind of a Venn diagram of, of companies that have not disparities, but companies that have differentials between them. And so the, the circles overlap each other and where they overlap each other the most is where there's commonality. Where they don't overlap each other is where they have differences and in, in those differences create a value proposition to those trying to buy services from them, if that makes sense. And now on the right-hand side of this, or the second uh, diagram that comes up, is what a commoditized market looks like. And that's when those differences go away. When it's ubiquitous to have the same reporting, or it's ubiquitous to have a, uh, a, a similar geographic standard that a transportation company goes in, or the equipment is not specialized in some way. It's very much like buying a, as they say, a commodity. And really the definition of a customer value in this place is when a customer senses the benefits they gain from a particular firm, a particular uh, competitor, a particular supplier out there is relative to the price they pay. And you can break that down into an equation that I'll bring across the, the screen right now, which is a profit equals total revenue minus the total cost. That's very standard. Okay. Your profit is your margin. You have a total revenue you're billing and the total cost you're paying and the difference is what you make as a company. That's standard fare, but it's, it's the value involved in this that we're getting to in a second is kind of an intuitive thing to people, which is could be dangerous really, because it's it's kind of a gut feeling that one thing might be better than another. And it's it's much better to have a tangible difference that can be analyzed and broken down into numbers and shown in, in PowerPoint or in historicals or in percentage of claims versus something else, all kinds of things you can come up with. But the second equation I have across the board here is what that total revenue is composed of. The Q in this in this is equal to this overall sales volume of the product or service you have, in our case, transportation service you have. So if you have high volume from somebody, there's got to be a reason behind that. But it's the volume times the price. That's the total revenue you gain from the relationship vendor to customer, right? So, but how that Q, how that sales volume is enabled or understood or gained from a particular client is really based on that, that value that that client sees in you. Do you have enough equipment? Is it in the right place? Is it the right size? Is it the right dimension? Is it going to hold the right product? Can your trucker pull more than a certain weight? Are they? Do they know how to go, uh, go in and out of the ports with, with kind of frequency and with acumen? Do they report properly back to you? They communicate all the time, good, bad, and different things that happen with the transportation transaction as, as it occurs. All of those things end up determining the number or that, that value Q in that equation that you saw across the screen. You know, the, really the simple way to think about Q, which is how much we can sell, is that it's determined by the customer's choices. It really comes down to that. And how we parse those choices is important to the conversation of how do you differentiate between yourself and your competitors so you can stay out of the commodity zone, as, as I like to put it. Uh, so we sell more when a customer's choice of our brand over the competitive brands. That's understood, I think, intuitively. 
The second reason customers tend to choose one brand over another is they believe one brand is a better value for the money. So the equation I have coming across the board now is, and it basically says the benefits of the equipment provider A, as an example, divided by the price of that provider, which is equal or not equal to the benefits of equipment provider B divided by that, that the price of the provider B. So that's, that creates a ratio. And there are fundamentals that are very important in, in this, when looking at it in this way. Customers choose products or service because they believe it provides a greater value, number one. Commoditization occurs as, over time, competitors imitate new ideas and products and services, and the ratio starts to equalize. That's when commodity and commoditization occurs. It becomes increasingly similar. The more similar one competitor is to another, the less differentiation, the more commoditization, the more a client then determines their entire basis for supply line and, and vendors based on single identified differentiators, typically and almost always bottom line price, price per transaction or price per product being moved or something along those lines. So breaking out of commoditization requires a focus on the customer value and the reasons why the customer choices move toward one product or service to another. And a competitor can distinguish its offerings by either substantially enhancing the benefits, which there's a cost involved for doing that. Technology is one of the ways people are getting around that today. Or lowering the customer's cost. Those are the two different ways. The cost game can be very difficult and, and focuses back in on the larger companies that are out there. And we've talked about many times, I think there is a, a, de a definite bias in our industry toward larger companies that either have substantial assets or very, very deep pockets that can overcome certain things when they're trying to re-differentiate themselves from others. They either play a specific commodity game that says, hey, Mr. and Mrs. Customer, if you fit into our parameters, then we have a great deal for you. But if you don't fit into our parameters, if you don't enhance our network in some way amongst criteria, then you don't. And that's that's kind of a reverse role of how a vendor can then look at different customers. And you can see over time that those customers, there's a value. See, this is a two-way street. There's a value that the vendors have to produce so that the clients determine one vendor is better than another and they'll pay appropriate margins to have that vendor utilize the services. But it works in reverse as well, especially with the supply and demand and how it fluctuates. So if you're in deficit markets, whether that's deficit of drivers, containers and trailers, steamship lines, labor force, all that kind of thing. If there's a deficit, then there's leverage to, to look the opposite direction. So if a vendor, let's say a trucker that has a thousand trucks and, and drivers to, to run long haul, looks at its portfolio of, of current customers and says, who fits our network best? Who pays the quickest? Who has the least amount of claims? Who doesn't complain as much? And who likes the reporting or simplifies things or works together or is more synergistic with the, the goals and priorities of the vendor? So they determine, because of those differentiations, which client to allow uh, more assets to go to, to increase the volume of that client. So it's always a two-way street. And that's, that's common throughout all industries. And it's kind of the baseline of what we're talking about. So the greater customer value relative to competition produces more sales value. Again, on both sides of the equation, greater revenue, greater profit, et cetera, et cetera, more manageable. But the key to that is how do you differentiate yourself and manage the, the cost structure around technology is a really good way of doing it. And eventually all products and services though move toward the middle. They, there are always niches. We can talk about those at length, and I think it's important as a small company, especially, to look at an, a, a niche or a boutique kind of flavor to their company and specialize and focus in on something like that. And that's one of the, the two major ways that we'll talk about in a moment that you can avoid commoditization, you can provide more differentiation, and provide advantages for your company. But eventually, all products and services move towards some type of similarity or commoditization. A company's optimal strategic response will depend not only on the industry's current state, 
but also on its likely evolution. In other words, you need to forecast kind of where things are going. If you see a, a messy transportation logistics industry like we have now, that may make your tactics go in one direction versus another. That's very typical and one of the things that you have to evaluate whether you're a large or a small company. A company must try to determine whether it can establish a sustainable position based on any one of three factors. Its cost position, how can it gain market share through managing its costs and thus managing its uh, quotations or its, its need for a particular type of margin to gain that share? Very, very common. The advantage in commoditized markets is cost base, really. That's, that's the main advantage. And, and it allows also for those that, that find soft spots in the market or places of imperfection, market imperfection, that they can be exploited in a way to differentiate. Now, if you take a look at this figure that's on your screen now, it's, it's kind of busy and it won't go over to a great degree, but there are real, th really three types of advantages as things move to commoditized market structure. Cost-based advantages, advantages of exploiting market imperfections, as we spoke about, and then kind of reevaluating or, or taking advantage of uh, product redifferentiation, finding new and different even minor value in certain aspects of what you're selling, whether it's service or product. And that's this, this supply-demand chart where the price is going up, the quantity is going up over here, shows where the cost-based advantage kind of lies as compared to the advantage basing on market imperfections and, of course, the differentiation. So if you, have, if you can differentiate, then you can increase your demand for whatever supply, whatever service you have. If you really don't have a way to differentiate and you base everything on simply, you know, cost-based advantage, then you kind of lie low on the price and quantity curve, which is good for those that are very large companies today already because they can make very small margins per transaction, but they just have to have a lot more transactions. To, there's a tipping point probably in transactions versus the overall cost for creating those transactions. And that goes back to the type of Vendor, the type of the type of company that utilizes its low cost but not high value network and try to fit the client into that instead of the other way around, and that it actually goes in the opposite direction we talked about a minute ago. That client is more important to that vendor simply because they fit that curve for cost based advantage. But you can see this is and over on the right hand side of this. Uh, there are four generic business models, a producer, and something that's producer slashed arbitrage. The limit advantage is, is kind of your exit market and then arbitrage alone. You can see the colorations. The premium player is the one that is in green on the very top of this. And that premium player is one that has figured out a way to differentiate itself again. And via the chart on the left of this diagram, this figure, you can see that their price that they can offer and that will be accepted is much larger than the other two, simply because they have something that is more distinct to offer for that client, if that makes sense to you. This is the classical advantage over the producer, the producer arbitrage. The producer itself has volume on its side, has deep pockets on its side, has assets on its side, and they can use that to their cost advantage. Now, the arbitrage that really is kind of defined as companies or entities that take advantage of minuscule differences. And this is why it's in blue. They take advantage and exploit market imperfections. When things go wrong, they can jump in on a very spot market or transactional basis, and they can make really small differences on either side of the equation. If the supply is too high, they, they have a certain uh, ability to, uh, to lower their price, but take advantage of having already bought at even a lower price. Same if the, if the market is, is distinctly on the other side of that curve. They take advantage of these minuscule differences. And it's really important that they see this because many, many businesses will just kind of instinctively lean toward redifferentiating their product. If possible, it's not always possible, especially as things get more and more commoditized and the size of the companies are involved, et cetera, or they try to create a cost advantage. If it's necessary, they don't ever want to leave money on the table. And you, you find in transportation all the time, people 
and entities get kind of desperate. They, they're, they're looking for revenue instead of margin on the short-term basis, and they will discount something very heavily. On the other side of that, their network needs to raise prices in places that are deficit. So there is a balance that's going on, and, and those two things don't, off, don't always coincide the way they should, but that is something that is possible. So they try to create a cost advantage if, if they can, if necessary, and ignoring the opportunity to explore market imperfections, which is definitely there, definitely potential. That's the that spot market I'm talking about. But there is a potentially significant value to be gained from all three, depending on how your industry evolves. Companies that have built the capabilities necessary to exploit market imperfections, for example, can succeed with kind of modest capital expenditures as compared to lowering a big swath of a giant volume of, of shipping as the, the cost advantage people are looking to do, um, they can they can succeed with that. Uh, moderate level of risk, and it could be an attractive op- option, not necessarily for long-term gain with the client, but certainly for stabilizing a company that is going through kind of tumultuous transportation logistics times, which is exactly what we're going through now. The cost-based advantage, folks, is whether a company can achieve cost-based advantage really hinges on, you know, the, the cost curve of the company. Do they have their technologies in line? Do they have their, their personnel kind of right size to a point where they can keep their costs low enough that they can, they can move the margin uh, benchmark down to a point that they have a cost advantage? If they can do that, then they run a chance of huge success within a commoditized or a more commoditized market, as you can identify. You know, in in, pro, in contrast, the product is commoditized, but the process used to make it is not necessarily there. So oftentimes, to get the cost advantage, so maybe what they're selling has been commoditized, maybe everything is very similar amongst large clients, but maybe the underlying way to communicate, to tender loads, to uh, facilitate manufacturing of the equipment necessary. Maybe there's a way that we're paying, that personnel are being paid on the driver's side, or it could be a number of things, but those are the underlying cost components that need to be adjusted to make sure they advantage even a low margin with because of the low costs. Now, explaining market imperfections is the ability really to create a competitive advantage by taking a look and analyzing those things. And of course, it depends on the prevalence and nature of those imperfections. Imperfections make it difficult for companies to understand where demand will need supply. So there is volatility and there's a predictive process that needs to, that needs to happen if you're going to take advantage of these imperfections. But Volatility is volatility, and you can win on both sides of that, or you can lose on both sides of that. So it is, it can be a rough ride, but again, there's a low cost, there's a low capital expenditure output to try to analyze and take advantage of that. So that's why it can be so important. But if, if we want to, we can delve into that a little bit further because the window of opportunity, it may be fine. You know, the market imperfections may disappear over time as, as market conditions change. But as we've seen over the course of at least the, the 30 years that I've been doing this, that there are points where things are kind of smoothed out and things begin to turn and run more uh, fluid. And, you know, I talked about fluidity in the past. And I think that can be looked at in a whole lot of ways. But amongst supply chain, amongst transportation logistics, there seems to always be touch points that are in the system itself, weak links in the supply chain, as, as it were. That if analyzed rightly, and if you're nimble enough as a company, you can take advantage of those imperfections. So there's occasional undersupply. That's one of the ways to, to take advantage of that. If you're in a deficit uh, area with equipment and you have access to it somehow, either through relationships or through having some of yourself or repurposing the types of equipment necessary for one mode of transportation into another, that's the way to take advantage of something like that. Double elasticity. Here is where the supply chain curve and the demand curve are simultaneously steep. So everybody needs something and everybody's price is going up. We can see that a lot right now. There can be large fluctuations in price in response. If you look at the international steamship line shipping from Asia to the United States, 
it's up 500% or more, not including surcharges that are put onto that. And that's because of imperfections and imbalances in the international supply chain equation. That's the double inelasticity that we're talking about. Extrogenous exposures here, unpredictable factors drive potentially large changes in the demand and supply curve. Examples would be, you know, maybe the airline industry is a good example where demand curves are subject to weather conditions. That is true in transportation as well, where if there, I, I remember this was many, many years ago, but there was a flood on the Mississippi that changed and took, oh, this, this, this happened kind of recently in, in, a, in a microcosm of the same thing where some bridges went all over the Mississippi and there had to be a lot of reroutes done. Well, those reroutes created a potential for those ready for it and, and that had the network able to, to flex into that and be malleable enough to adjust to it to advantage themselves and get new clients and new lanes to be the plan B, eventually turning into plan A for clients because of the service offered um, with a different route to get to where the destinations are coming from the origins that they have. Logistics bottlenecks. Uh, we can talk about a myriad of them. You know, things that come to mind are earlier in this year, what happened in the, the Suez Canal when the uh, Ever Given stopped up that thing like a, a cork in a bottle. And that changed dramatically not only how supplies got to where they were, but it changed dramatically how the price of those supplies, even those supplies that weren't necessarily impacted long term because they were already commodities themselves. It changed how everybody needed and wanted those. It changed the supply and demand curve. It changed the routings for subsequent shipments to go through there. And it changed dynamically how a lot of people started looking at certain bottlenecks in the supply chain and how we might, for future purposes, be ready and prepared for existential crises like that. So that's when we have, you know, product heterogeneity is, is part of that. Even small differences in product quality or transportation quality, if sold correctly to those that need that differentiation, can be huge. Now, I know that sounds like product differentiation, again, which we're going to talk about in a minute. It's very similar to that. These are the minuscule things that we're talking about. This is maybe some specs in the supply and, you know, the change in supply and demand dynamics of the prices. These prices, these differentials are not necessarily well correlated with the differences in value that users assign to products, creating arbitrage opportunities. There is also one additional thing that we should define in terms of this exploiting market imperfections thing, and that's information asymmetry. And what that means is that different entities, different customers will use different sources of information. Same with vendors and suppliers. They will rely on different ways of estimating the product's fair value. They'll have an equation that says, this is why this fair value is worth what it is. That can be very different from different buyers and different sellers, and resulting in significant value creation opportunities. If, if you have a source and a relative view on a particular company that says its overall holistic value is X versus another's is Y, that could be the marketable difference, the small marginal difference that allows you to take advantage of these market imperfections. Now, the last of these is really product redifferentiation. The overall of a product's characteristics and value proposition can be highly effective as a way to confront commoditization. It's often the default path of players in commoditized markets. But companies have to be wary of this sometimes wishful thinking. A successful redefinition is possible only if a company can recreate a premium product that pays off, meaning the market value of that premium has to exceed the company's associated costs. Oftentimes, redefinition costs money. Either Let's use technology as an example. If you want to have some specialized technology that segregates you from the rest of your competitors, then you have to spend the money to develop, implement, and get off the ground those technologies. And they have to be beneficial to the customer. Otherwise, the value is not there and the associated costs are too high. So because if you, if you're, if you spend um, 
thousands and thousands and thousands of dollars, tens of thousands of dollars, creating a, a new set of software that does something special for them. But your volume with those clients where it's too specialized and you only have a few clients involved in whatever that IT solution is, then it's the return on investment's too long for it to be a true redifferentiation. So the production process is, is very mature. Little technology progress is expected. The transportation logistics, there's a lot going on. There's, you know, one of the biggest, and I should probably have a podcast about this in the very near future, but one of the biggest problems in the industry, the challenge in the industry is empty miles. And there are a lot of people that, that have figured out little bits and pieces to try to take the empty miles involved in any kind of a truckload carrier, for instance, is just as an example. And try to minimize that, even carve 10% off the empty miles can make a huge difference between either the profitability or the ability for a customer or a, to expand their usage of that vendor because suddenly their costs have been reduced by, let's say, 10% because they're not running the same amount of empty miles within the context of the time frame necessary to, to rebalance the network equation that they're using. So, you know, pricing transparency is high uh, with a lot of different companies. So they, can, they can tell in a lot of different ways, whether it's an LTL company using tariffs, whether it's international steamship lines and the, the organizations that, that marry those things up from them. Uh, so that pricing itself for a lot of different modes of transportation is very well known within a plus or minus of really a very few dollars or a very few percentage points. So that gauge of differences in quality and product is paramount to redefining. You know your value proposition in an industry, and the industry's value chain has, has been deconstructed a lot of times. And so a lot of these things have been looked at over and over. So redefining redifferentiation is oftentimes very very difficult, but it's probably the necessary thing to do. Either in a lot of smaller companies, we move as I said earlier in this podcast to more of a niche philosophy. One that says, okay, if we can't play in the same pond with some of these big equipment providers, then maybe we need some specialized equipment that, you know, flatbeds or step decks or refrigerated or, 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 or. All these different things can differentiate you or constrict the, the market to a point where there's not as many competitors in it, which is kind of the same thing. So, uh, you know, choosing the right business model, I, I think that requires a lot of introspection. So you might ask yourself, what kind of changes do you need to make in your business model to fight against or combat the idea of commoditization where you're only one way of, of differentiating yourself from another is purely based on price? That's a that's a, a losing game unless you have huge volumes and huge capacity. Uh, that's something to think about. There's a, a several different ways you can develop companies. But overall, people will keep pushing performance in a couple of different levels. It, and it's really about perceived value. Over time, competitors cluster around perceived value, differentiation of both costs and certain you know, value propositions, certain KPIs that they look at internally on their, on whether it's a client or a vendor to determine those differences. And they'll keep pushing those points. One of those points may simply be dollars, right? And those dimensions as a way to differentiate from competitors. And at some point, the products will be delivering more value in those dimensions than most customers really need. That is when the commoditization occurs. So if they're, if the client or the vendor no longer needs the differentiated point that the client or the vendor is offering to the potential collaborator, that is when commoditization occurs and everything draws back to that price point market. Who's willing to pay premium prices for something that's no longer valued, right? That's why differentiation has to occur. Spot markets are a way to do that as we talked about a minute ago. And, you know, that's, that's one of the things that you look at in, you know, a lot of companies are really cost centric and they will talk about a lot of KPIs, but they will really look at, you know, truckload rates, for instance, spot versus contract. Sometimes contract is the way to go. When the supply is there and you want a longer term, better price point, 
in an agreement and sustainability. And other times it's better to go after, you know, a spot market kind of philosophy because you can, you can live within the dips and the, the peaks that occur. Uh, it's much more difficult for companies to do that in terms of, of forecasting for the future. But sometimes that's not necessary. Sometimes that's not the way you want to go. So that's, you know, something that you have to evaluate as a transportation provider. But choosing the right business model and sticking with it is very important. You know, to capture maximum value for opportunities, to create, you know, dynamic advantages or classical advantages in a market that's continually commoditized is very important. The choice of the models really you can use a lot of different terms. I use producer arbitrage. A producer kind of extracts most of its value from the difference in the market price uh, product versus its cost for production. That's where it's going to make its margin. That's the, the lever it's going to use. And typically those are long-established, highly financed, uh, well-defined companies. They have secure, you know, superior asset bases that have a ton of equipment uh, sitting in and ready, and they have a very low cost for moving that equipment around or preparing that equipment. Perhaps they've paid off a lot of it, etc. This is this is a, a an excellent way to sustain a high revenue but low margin typical entity going into the future. There's a lot of value in that. Um, and you know, excellence in determining deployment capital is really a big aspect to anything anybody like this because. You don't have a lot of margin for error. If your margins are low, quote unquote, you don't have a lot of margin for error. So they're capital intensive if they have a design and they have a process to keep their capital focused on the important things for their company, then it's going to do wonderful things for their company. And, you know, scale and experience is very important to that. Scale, assets, you know, operational process and excellence is there. There's got to be a best in class kind of experiential system in place, but it's also lowest common denominator thinking. In other words, they, we're going to form a business unit or a company designed around this. And you as a customer can buy into that. And your advantage, because you're in a commoditized world, is that you're going to have a better price point. And uh, those people are usually the industry leaders. Those are the ones that kind of make the markets flow. A producer that successfully combines all these different things has levers to create a first or second uh, cost position for most of the products and services that they're talking about. If there's a glut of capacity in an industry, that can be a challenge. That can be the other way around. That's that's just lowers the price point even further. But those that have the things that we talked about in place and have designed a system that keeps their cost curve as low as humanly possible will protect his profitability. Maybe some short-term dips in that, but they will protect their profitability over the long term. Now, arbitrage uh, exacts its value from all those market imperfections that we talked about before, that if you're able to advantage those. And this, this chart that's coming across, uh, we can talk a little bit about it. Again, it's, it's kind of a busy one, but the markets that are not commoditized have it's a differential between the premium value and, and how that exceeds the company's related costs. This is very strongly branded. Oftentimes you can look at, and there are, there are very robust industries that have been around a long time that have or a process or a network that, that sticks out from the rest. And those still have premium value and are differentiated though toward commoditization. They're differentiated enough that they can demand a higher profit from, from their, from their system. And that's on the left. The, the, the two on the right is intrinsic and extrinsic value. The difference between a product's market price and the company's cost of production is an intrinsic value, right, of whatever that product or service is. And the potential value is created by the market imperfections. So we talked about the arbitrage. This is what you need to take advantage of. And that's rising from all the things we talked about, asymmetries or lack of market transparency, all the different things that the volatility allows us to look at and, and uh, utilized to the advantage of a company trying to create their own business model. Arbitrages do not necessarily own production assets at all. A lot of brokers fall into this, this category. 
they have to work within the context of the, the volatility of the markets they're brokering to utilize supply and demand to their advantage and their support of their company. Usually not a very stable thing unless you're looking at a, a baseline of a certain amount of, of freight. It is typical as a means of acquiring information about imperfections and exploiting pricing inefficiencies rather than earning the intrinsic margin that a producer would earn. Yeah, that's, that's kind of the way you look at it. You've got to be agile. You know, the, the main differentiators with, with if you're looking to take advantage of market imperfections, if you're looking to be an arbitrage, uh, that you have to be very agile. You have to be looking for those imperfections and be able to spin and utilize the systems that you have, the personnel you have, the understanding of the markets that you have to look at those imperfections and say, we can, we can gain margin doing this on this side of the supply curve or on the other side of the supply. So that's, that's kind of the number one. The, the other emphasis is on delegation or empowerment. These, these entities that take care of these differentials usually have to have a wider swath of non-internal product and or service that they can reach out to. Oftentimes brokers will utilize, uh, you know, thousands of, of truckload carriers as an example. And some of which they're kind of the core group and others that they use tangentially during times of supply and demand need. And ultimately the best brokers I've seen out there are kind of the sales arm in a way many truckers that aren't large, that have a certain need in a certain lane or two in the United States in particular, and they're able to utilize or delegate or empower those carriers to be regular participants in some area uh, that they see a market imperfection. And, and of course, simple, it's very simple performance metrics. You just look at P&Ls. There's a lot of KPIs involved with not the producer side, but the different the differentiated value-based companies that have some set of key performance indicators that they're adhering to or that they broadcast as the reason for you to pay a higher dollar for their service. Well, with arbitrage, you're, you're working on these market imperfections. And really, it comes down to how well you can swing those to your advantage, whether it's a spot market or something else. So it's a very simple way to measure your your profit and loss generated through this. But there's often very, very tight control over operations and very strong risk management capabilities because it's it's kind of like anything else. It depends on your risk tolerance. It depends on what you're able to look at and develop in terms of what you want to do. But the pendulum swings greater on this side of the equation in arbitrage than, than it does in the others. But I think one of the most important things I think it's the most important aspect of this is that to take advantage of market imperfections, to look for these supply chain weak links, as you say, and, and offer a way to shore them up at the same time of making margin doing that. You have to have really a superior understanding of the market. You have to know what you're looking for. You have to see those links and understand that there's a possibility of you managing and supporting those industry-wide or local challenges in not only supporting yourself, but supporting your client base in a way that that produces an advantage for all parties. Even when somebody pays a lot more, uh, oftentimes when a client pays a surcharge for a seasonal uh, repositioning allowance or something along those lines, oftentimes people will look at that and feel like they're doing them a disservice because they have a core carrier that that provides service for them at a less expensive rate. That's not true. This arbitrage, this taking advantage, if you will, of these marketing perfections does a service for both you as a company, keeping you in, in competition with others, but it also provides a way for that client to flex its ability and use alternate services and modes of transportation, even at a higher price to fulfill its ultimate need. And that's typically getting their product to market in a timely basis. So it's very important. It's nothing, you know, these, these wild swings in price and, and such are nothing to be afraid of and nothing to be ashamed of at all. They need to happen in a market that has volatility. You know, really today, the primary subset of arbitrage 
the model itself is what we call platform business models, where we're using a technology or a basis to create a handshake between those that need something and those that have something that the, the others need. And that uh, efficient tr- transfer of in communication of the need with the desire to have that fulfilled is the platform itself. I mean, Amazon is the probably the number one you know, purveyor of that. They provide a, a robust platform for people to do business on in a whole bunch of different ways. That's where I see a lot of the transportation logistics industry going, is platform technologies that enable the marrying up of these, these needs and wants. I think the thing to really grasp here is that commoditization is kind of inevitable for most businesses. And it's happening with increasing speed. Uh, but it is ultimately survivable and potentially advantageous. If, if a company recognizes ways to advantage itself, either through price management, cost management, platform development, arbitrage, uh, looking at market indicators and supply chain weaknesses and advantaging and filling the gap when necessary, but making sure that margin is provided for the the bottom line of the company. I think that leaders facing commoditization pressures in their industry should kind of ask themselves, you know, the following questions. Become a beneficiary of, of the market and where it's going as far as commoditization rather than the victim. And that's, you know, how is it changing, commoditization that is, how is it changing the basis of your competitive advantage in the industry? Number one. Number two is which of the strategies discussed that we've been discussing really are the most viable? You know, is it is it something that, that you have the will with all the experience, the understanding, the deep pockets, the equipment assets? the density of, of your network? Do you have the ability to be a producer? Do you have the ability to look at your portfolio and say, I can move my price point to a place where I can not only survive, but thrive with this type of margin? That's great. It might be a producer. Maybe you're going to redifferentiate. Maybe you're going to move to a niche or a boutique kind of transportation provider that looks to a market that's a bit smaller, maybe a pond that, that you can swim in versus a, a lake or an ocean with the big guys. That might be, or maybe it's, maybe you can, maybe you're so good at your market and understanding the frailties in it that you can manage the subtle changes in the supply chain needs that there are and be advantaged by, by hitting that through arbitrage. Maybe that's it. And what changes do you need to make? to your business model and what capabilities you need to develop to ensure your company's success. Now that's, that comes down to an individual company's priorities and and sets of things they want to do. But ultimately, you know, these different dimensions are, are always pointing toward refining the links in that chain, whether it's a supply chain or whether it's the chain of production or whether it's a chain of communication, whatever that chain may may be. So I think what I'd like to do is end with this. The world keeps moving forward. There's volatilities. There are things that happen throughout your career in transportation logistics that are sometimes head-shaking, crazy, bottlenecked supply chain, as I like to put it, clog in the pipes. Uh, there's a lot of different things that can happen that can throw one off balance. And I think the, the key to part of this is understanding that all things, you know, there's an old saying, you know, water always runs to the ocean. It always looks for equilibrium. And I think commoditization is a form of that in business. And it's true for supply chain transportation as well as any type of product that's out there. The advantages that different entities have over one another are usually created as a product or service is developed and refined. And once that product or service gets to a point that the differentiations are not viewed as that anymore, 
commoditization begins to occur. So the three ways to take advantage of that is either go along for the ride and figure out ways to lower your costs and take advantage of the cost differential you can create as the priority for your customer. When you differentiate as best as you can by finding something new in your value proposition that allows you to make more margin for your current or future client base without having your costs go up too much. Or look for the soft spots. Look for the small differentials between supply and demand that allow you to step in with your market understanding, with your expertise, with your particular set of specialized assets and fill the gap on a, on a higher margin basis when you possibly can. So as always, guys, I look forward every single time to having you respond to these, give me feedback. I'm sure there's plenty if you want to dig through this. Um, down at the bottom right-hand corner of the YouTube videos is always this little symbol that says I love it. If you click on that, you'll be able to subscribe. You'll be able to be part of this growing community at ilovelogistics.com. You can go there and get the daily sent to you via email on, on a regular basis, on a daily basis. And, and you can take just moments out of your day to keep yourself updated on the, the things that are happening that affect your career and, and your, your life in general. Because this is part of life now. Supply chain has, over the course of the last year for sure, come out of the background, into the foreground, into and under the place of understanding where people are actually looking at supply chain management careers very much like they used to MBAs. So be a part of that conversation, part of the group as a whole. Join us as we continue to take this adventure. I look forward to seeing you next time on Jaws Bites. Take care.